This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swan's Crossing! I'm so excited, too. I think the listeners are really going to be stoked to hear directly from our queen, Callie Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really, really got some great Callie action in this particular episode of, of uh, Swan's Crossing. And this has got to grow up sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. And I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. Hi, everyone. Hi. Wow, Nathan. How are you feeling? Uh, well, there, there's a lot to unpack in this episode, isn't there? <laughs> My goodness, this is one of the this is one of the famous episodes of Swan's Crossing that like if anybody saw the show when it aired, they vividly remember this episode and probably have questioned many times th- over the intervening 30 or so years whether they really saw what they thought they saw because it's so insane. The question one has upon finishing this episode is did that just really happen to me? Oh yeah, I I still ask myself that, and I've seen it several times. Um, well, should we get right into it and and go nuts well, yeah, on this well, one? Do you want to start with predictions, or do you want to start with uh, the thumbnail? Because I was I'm very excited about the thumbnail for this episode. <laughs> Give me the thumbnail now. Let's do it. Okay, let's talk about that thumbnail because Sydney is on the on the thumbnail for the Shout Factory TV, TV episode of this. Uh, particular uh, episode 24. Sydney is in her bedroom holding red fabric. Sandy is in the background. So that so my assumption was Sydney is picking an outfit. Um, again. <laughs> again. There appears to be a board of sketches behind her, like on the other side of the bed, and a pillow on the ground with brown spots like a dog. I I thought when I started this episode that Sydney was having a dress designed for her. I mean, last time she picked an outfit, it took like three episodes to do. So right. yeah. I'm sure and, you and breathed a sigh of relief that that was not the case this time. I'm actually, interesting point. I actually am starting to wonder if the reason that Sydney keeps Sandy around for picking outfits is that Sydney is secretly colorblind. Maybe so. It is it is desperate every time Sydney needs to decide on a fabric that Sandy be there. Maybe you're right. I thought colorblindness was exclusively like a Y chromosome thing, but I could be wrong. And maybe maybe Sydney has a Y chromosome and and therefore is colorblind. There you go. So, there you go. Wow. Um well, here come your predictions from last week. Callie would pick the lock on the tool and die and would discover what Barrack slash Barack has been working on. It's a radio device <laughs> that contacts the Baldies or maybe the FBI guys. Now, the latter part of that prediction did not come true, but Callie does pick the lock on the tool and die in this one. So yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be 50%. I, I am so excited to talk about what happens with the lock in this episode. Oh. 
Uh, you predicted there would be way less Sydney. That was not true. And uh, you predicted lots of Garrett scheming, but not in his bedroom. That was correct. And yes. you thought he would talk to Glory in her bedroom about his plot. That part sadly did not happen, but there was lots of Garrett scheming and not in his bedroom. And and he was in Glory's bedroom. If you he look was. at the background, that's definitely... There's no Glory. Yeah, yeah. I kind of right. was wondering where Glory was during that scene because it was raining so heavily outside. But anyway, whatever. Uh, you predicted that JT and Neil would be back in JT's room doing computer science things and trying to track down the origin of the virus. Sadly, none of that happened. Yeah, we have not seen JT and Neil in, in two episodes now. I'm beginning to worry about them. Oh, don't worry. They'll be back. All right. Uh, you predicted there would be more in the studio with Mila, Owen, and Sandy. That was correct. You predicted that Mila was going to sound terrible when she sang that Sandy would point that out, but that Owen wouldn't be able to see it. I am going to give you that one. I think that's Thank pretty you. much more or less what happened without the narrative coming right out and saying that that was what happened. Yeah. The the How, how Mila's singing affects the other two is very mysterious to me. Still, because the thing the thing that I was hearing was definitely not the thing that the characters were hearing. So, yeah, it's uh it's interesting all of it. We'll get into it when we get to that. All right. Anyway, we open at the Tool and Die where Callie is trying to get the padlock off the door. Saja coasts up silently on a motorcycle that's not running. Callie, I think it should be noted is pulling futilely on the lock. Like she's somehow, like, it's just, it's so funny. Saja drives up on his bike. His bike, for whatever reason, does not have a side kickstand. And he does not look quite strong enough to pull the bike up onto the center stand. Yeah, it's, he takes a long time to figure it out. It's so good. Callie turns around, looks Saja dead in the eyes and says, Saja, you're the only one who can help me. Callie is like breathless at this point too. It's I, ridiculous. She, she's been trying to, she's been trying real hard to pull that lock off. Saja says, you need a master who can open any door. She kneels before his bike. He tells her to stay calm and breathe slowly because yogis say you're only born with a certain amount of breaths. She tells him he needs to open the door now. And he responds by saying that if, if with an opening the size of the eye of the needle, he can open the gates of the supernatural. Yeah, I am not sure what that's supposed to mean exactly. It's great, though. I mean, it is something. And then would you like to describe what happens next? Yes. Saja approaches the door. He and Callie bow to each other awkwardly. He takes the lock in his right hand while some racist Asian music plays. And suddenly, Saja is lit by a blinding stage light, and he mystically crushes the padlock into literal dust with his 14-year-old hand. It's amazing. In what is possibly the fastest that this show has ever gotten uncomfortably sexual. Callie looks at him and says, I'll follow you anywhere, master. Roger replies, naturally. And he drops the shard-like fragments of the lock to the ground. And then there's an abrupt cut. Yes, smash cut to the recording studio where Owen is in the grip of his most intense fever dream yet. I was so confused about what was happening because the, <laughs> it, it is the a lot of the studio is in shadow and then you see these these three 
backlit shadowy figures fade in sandy is uh rocking out to talking sweet as honey the lights come up on the three shadowy figures it is three milas in the gold dress oh god this this wet dream of owens goes on for far more than a beat too long triplicate milas like the norns of ancient mythology they are standing at their own individual microphones singing a backup track which is like they're not even singing in harmony it's just three voices singing the same note so i'm not yeah. sure what Owen is thinking here musically but i don't think he's thinking musically no <laughs> he's scene. not he's not um, what was what was interesting to me about this scene is that i kept trying to figure out if one of the mystical milas was actually portrayed by Brittany Daniels' identical twin sister, Cynthia Daniel. I don't know for sure. It might just all be Brittany, though, because like I, I kind of doubt the wardrobe department had more than one of these fancy dresses laying around. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Did her sister also play on Sweet Valley High? Indeed she did. The show about twins. <laughs> I, I had assumed in all seriousness... That Brittany Daniels played both roles. No, actually, um, they do. You, you can kind of, you can vaguely tell them apart by looks, and uh, and they both definitely portrayed their characters in distinctly different ways. And there's one scene where Cynthia has to switch to play Brittany's role, and she plays it so like they could have just had Brittany play that role as like, oh, now she's Elizabeth pretending to be Jessica. But right. no, they played it the way the way they were supposed to, with each actor remaining in their character, but trying to portray her sister. And it was great. It was like genuine, genuinely some very good acting on both their parts. So a famous episode in Sweet Valley High fandom. Anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. Now this weird shit show where we relentlessly whiplash straight into another insane fantasy sequence. The Mila thing kind of clues you in that like, okay, the previous scene with Sadra crushing the lock with his bare hand didn't really happen. It was Saja's fever dream. Uh, in all so seriousness, now- though, I did not know that at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh, God, I love this show so much. I will tell you when we get to the point where I realized that it was a Saja fever dream. Okay. Anyway, we are uh, on the porch of the Booth Mansion. Would you like to describe what the hell happens here? Oh, my gosh. So Garrett Garrett is on the porch uh, fantasizing about his revenge against Sydney and sees like the 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 visage of Sydney appears to him in one of the flowers in the garden and starts talking to him as he's talking back and and uh, she is she is begging him to uh show show some mercy as he as he grabs the garden shears and meticulously lops off flower heads getting closer and closer to the sydney flower head that is talking to him it should also be noted while he is doing this every time he makes a cut he lets loose another really bad pun about cutting or snipping or or yeah. whatever it it is <laughs> And and you've got this little superimposed Sydney's face, this tiny little Sarah Michelle Geller in the head of this flower talking to him the whole time. It is wackadoo. It is so great. So great. And right at the end of this sequence, which can't go on long enough for my taste, I love it so much. Garrett, <laughs> Garrett says harshly that he will never, ever forgive Sydney, and we fade to commercial. Yeah, this is the fastest I have ever dubbed anyone Psychopath of the Week. (laughs) 
It's true. I uh, memorialized the frantic texts you were sending me on our social meds. So some people have already seen the proof. Uh, When we get back, we have our credit sequence, still with the hilarious juxtaposition of of the final two images of Garrett and Sydney dancing and the rocket exploding. Uh, And then when we come back... Garrett's second dad comes out onto the porch and asks what he's doing. And Should like, we just refer to them as Garrett's dads from now on? Yeah, yeah. This one of Garrett's dads appears. Yeah, so Garrett complains a lot about being grounded, uh, but Grant, Grant has a plan. He's going to give him something to do. The funniest, funniest thing about this scene to me is that Grant does not seem to notice or care that all of the flowers are missing their heads. Yeah, and I was also wondering, like, aren't these Glory's flowers? Because it, it is established early on, but then we get, we come back much more strongly plot-wise to the fact that Glory is really into gardening. Like, this is her thing. So Garrett's just out here chopping up his sister's garden? Like, what an asshole. I mean, we do, we do have a strong history of Glory wearing flowers in her hats. So yes, she is specifically like a gardener, though. Like this is her her whole passion in life is to grow plants, and Garrett is destroying them because he's mad at his ex girlfriend. <laughs> what a dick! So so Grant mentions that he has this job that's going to help him with his campaign. Garrett kind of notes that he's not really into politics, but he's willing to try it. And Grant gives him this short and yet weirdly slow lecture about political strategy. And like Garrett tries to hurry him along at a couple points, and he. He gets mad at Garrett for trying to rush him through this unnecessarily long and dull speech. Yeah, it really does seem like the writers were intentionally trying to fill some time and were oh, acknowledging that they were trying to fill some time. Yeah, yeah. They you could you could tell the director was like, really drag this one out, man. Like make this scene last. I want to point out that Grant is asking for help with his mayoral campaign, but the way that he pronounced it is Merrill. <laughs> Merrill. Merrill campaign. Merrill campaign. So the, the gist of the plan is that because Grant's construction company was held responsible for the loss of the town records during the town hall renovation, he, he is going to try to flip that on to Mayor Rutledge because the person who actually stored the records was old Sutton who worked for the mayor and old Sutton died. And now no one knows where the records are. It seems so simple. Like just look up whatever storage unit Sutton rented. That's where right. we are. It There's- does. It does seem like that would be easy enough. And here is, here's the leap that I don't fully understand. Essentially the plan is blame Sutton. Sutton worked for the mayor. It's the mayor's fault that the records are gone. Right. Grant makes this leap that that no one is going to buy this unless he can produce the records. I don't understand how those things are connected at all. Oh, I don't understand either. But I think the the takeaway from this is that it's not really supposed to make sense. Because also, like, the, the denouement of this plan is that he's going to have Garrett hand-deliver a small portion, like he has found some duplicate records from the hospital. Like those are the only records that still exist. And he's going to have Garrett take some of these records to Mayor Rutledge. Like how is this benefiting the Booth campaign in any way? It doesn't make any sense. 
It does not. But it's just a, a freaking device to get us to the point where where uh, Garrett can have access to these records, as we will see shortly. It should also be noted that in this very weird, very long speech that Grant gives his son, he mentions, you don't confront your opponent directly, you confuse them. And that will come into play over the next several episodes. Oh, great. Well, I mean, if he if his object is confusion, man, he has succeeded so far. <laughs> I'm already there. Back at the studio, we briefly see the triplicate Milas, and then Sandy snaps Owen out of his fever dream, and she yeah. suggests they can solve their backup singer problem by laying down her voice on a different track and then doubling it a few times. It works for Madonna. It works for Sting. Right, but Owen's like, we're not doing Madonna and Sting. We're doing our own thing, so you're not trying to make the greatest pop music in the world in 1992. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're going more for a like Velvet Underground in the early 60s thing. The thing that I love about this scene is how desperate Sandy is to keep Mila off of this tape. Oh, I know. It's kind of heartbreaking. But she's, like... And she's trying every single tactic she can and cannot break through to Owen, who is completely oblivious to what's happening in this room. Like, Mila seems to understand what's happening, but Owen yeah. is just unaware. Owen, uh, why is Owen like this? So he argues kind of dickishly that he wants a different texture in the song. It's not about tone, it's about texture. And uh, he gives Mila the lyrics and tries to get her to try singing. And then they just sing a bunch of meows. Is this, like, you have clearly had extensive vocal training. You are a magnificent singer. Is this a thing that vocal coaches do? I mean, you do scales, which is what they're doing. I've never meowed before. Scales as a cat, though. <laughs> no, no, that is not something that I've ever done. I will say that the first, so Owen meows down a scale, and then Mila also meows down a scale. It should be noted, it is not the same scale. These are very different pitches. <laughs> yeah, there are also, there are only seven notes in Mila's scale. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, this first scale that she meows I'm not sure if it's supposed to sound bad because it doesn't and everyone acts like it was terrible. Here's the thing about Mila's singing. She can stay on key. Like, she stays on key. She doesn't have a very polished voice, which, you know, she sounds like people singing in their shower, like the way I sing. Like, I can stay on key, but you don't necessarily want to pay money to listen to me, you know? Right. But, like, they act like she is awful. Right. <laughs> She's not awful. <laughs> No, she's not. And then, and then Owen as, like is like, Sandy, you're a good teacher. And essentially, Owen and Mila bully Sandy into trying to explain singing to Mila. And Sandy finally kind of gives in. She's like, all right, fine. And, and she starts sort of giving her an attempted first lesson. And Owen just gazes at Mila this whole time, smitten. And like, Sandy... I know your thing is that you're super depressed, but you gotta have more self-respect than this. Like, she wants Owen so badly, and Owen is just such a persistent, aggressively jerkish jerk to her. <laughs> I don't get it. What do you see in him, Sandy? Come on. So, uh, we cut over to the tool and die, and Saja is pouring sand out of his hand. And this is the moment as Callie is again, like, pulling on the lock that I realized it was a fever dream. So you you felt like it was plausible that, <laughs> that, that Sandra might actually have crushed the lock with his hands in the Swans Crossing universe. I was under the impression that they might have gone the route of this 
this young man who has changed his name and we play vaguely racist music every time he's on screen has supernatural powers. <laughs> I mean, it was the 90s, so that was like a 50-50 bet. Callie has supernatural powers from her acupressure, so. It's true, she does. Um, Callie yells at him for screwing around and uh, Saja asks why she wants to get into the tool and die so badly. Anyway, for no apparent reason, Callie makes him sit down on the ground to have this conversation with her. There was yeah. no reason for either of them to be seated for this, but they are. It was just, you know, it was in the script. Yeah, Callie goes on to describe Beric's weird behaviors. And I was I was unsure in the because she's not she doesn't name Beric. Uh, and I'm not, I really was not sure if the, the thing that was happening was that the, the writers were trying to make us think that Callie's talking about Beric, but Saja thinks Callie's talking about him. It was all very, very ambiguous uh, as things often are with the writing in the show. And she does ask, like, if you saw somebody acting strangely, but no one else seemed to see it, how would you, what would you think? And Saja said, well, he would think that maybe he was wrong about whether the person was really acting strangely or not. Right. So Callie asks him, is there someone in Swan's Crossing who you could tell this stuff to and not get laughed at? And Saja's like, well, yeah, I could tell you. And then she's like, well, I think I could tell you anything, too. And then Saja asks, me, Bobby, or me, Saja? And Callie says, whoever you want to be, which seems to touch Saja because no one has ever said that to him before. Aww. This thing annoys me because up until this point, other than like the first or second episode, we have not referred to him as Bobby this entire time. I know. It, it, and imagine if you had to watch this once a week during the summer as a kid, like you wouldn't even, you would be like, his name is Bobby? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, we cut to commercial, and when we're back, we're in the studio, Sandy's trying to get Mila to sing the notes, Owen seems to be trying to help, and then Sydney appears from nowhere. She does just like, it's kind of camera left, it's more just like right where the camera's shooting from, she just apparates into the studio, as one does. I and hate she... the studio oh, no. set so much. <laughs> Why didn't they just pick a spot to be the entrance? Like, there it been has silly. to be a door into this room. Uh, Sydney comes in grinning evilly, and she says she needs to borrow Sandy. And Owen gets mad, which is weird, because most of the time, Owen acts like Sandy doesn't exist. So yeah. what's different now? Right. I think, honestly, I think the only reason that Owen wants Sandy to stick around is because She's giving Mila a singing lesson, and if Sandy leaves, Mila might also leave. Yeah, probably. Ugh, Owen! Owen! Uh, Sydney says she needs Sandy to help her pick out colors for the new stage. Sandy looks very confused about this, as well she might. But then she seems to warm to the idea, and she's like, fine, because I was ready to go anyway, with this kind of look at Owen. Owen says, Owen says what about me? And Sydney goes, I'll return her, I always do. No, Sydney. Owen wants to know why he never gets borrowed. There's this escalating tension between everyone in the scene. Owen gets kind of mad, and Sandy sort of snaps back at him like, yeah, I have a life outside of your dumb interest. Deal with it. And she follows Sydney out, uh, or actually more like Sydney drags her off by her hand, but she goes willingly. And then after they're gone, Owen tells Mila she wasn't half bad at singing, and Mila says she still has her certificate. Owen isn't sure what she's talking about. And she pulls 
his drumstick out of her back pocket and said, drumstick. Want to stick around? Oh boy, Mila, does he ever. Oh, he sure does. And also, does she just carry this drumstick in her back pocket everywhere? Oh my gosh, I hope so. I can't imagine that's comfortable. Probably (laughs) that she doesn't know how to swim, but she has discovered that one can't swim with drumsticks. As we have established, this is why... This we've solved it. This is why Mila perpetually can't swim because she always has Owen's drumstick <laughs> secreted somewhere about her person. Oh, oh, definitely. Back with Callie and Saja. Callie wishes for a metal pin so she could pick the lock, and Saja happens to have one. This was one of my absolute like number one fantasies in like middle and high school, being able to pick locks. I wanted this ability so bad. Paul is very, very good at picking locks. What? <laughs> Yes, he's excellent at it. One time when we first started dating, he like locked the door on my apartment when we were outside it and my keys were inside. I was like, what the hell? My landlord was gone for like a week. I was like, oh my God, what? I can't afford to call a locksmith. He's like, oh my God, this, he just took a different key and like raked the lock with it. Like in two minutes, we were back inside. I was like, what the hell? He's like, yeah, I can pick locks. I'm like really good at it. I don't like that. I don't like knowing that. Don't worry. He can, he only uses his powers for good. <laughs> anyway, Saja hands over this pin. Callie takes it and instantly rips the padlock apart with this very thin pin. I mean, it takes her no time to pick this lock. She's no time whatsoever. That's right, of course. Callie is a queen. We immediately go to Swan's Cafe, where Sydney is talking about colors for the stage. This is out like the exterior of Swan's Cafe. Sandy is just yep. like so checked out and is barely tolerating Sydney's bullshit. It is palpable how much she is not paying attention to Sydney. It's great. Oh, it's so great. And and she admits that she's distracted because she keeps thinking about how off everything feels with Owen and the music and how distressed she is over this thought that like Owen might be musically breaking up with her. Right. Uh, Sydney advises her to get a new partner and Sydney and Sandy says, I like him. I'm just not sure he's happy with me. And Sydney goes, that's really pathetic. And I, I have to agree with Sydney. Well, it's not, that's not the part that is really pathetic. She adds being dumped by Owen Fowler. <laughs> Oh my god, Sydney. <laughs> and then she kind of tries No to- friend of mine is going to be dumped by Owen Fowler. <laughs> she kind of tries to make Sandy feel guilty for being upset over this. And Sandy says, You've always had so much in your life. And Sydney goes, Yes, I have. <laughs> and then she says, When something drops out of it, you don't even seem to notice. And Sydney kind of thinks about it for a minute and she's like, Yeah, you're kind of right. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is a moment of clarity for Sydney. And then Sydney says, do you think I would be friends with someone who wasn't going to be successful? No, no, Sydney, I I don't. I think you're that shallow. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) thanks for admitting it. That does kind of weirdly cheer Sandy up, though, because she's like, oh, yeah, I mean, Sydney must see something in me or this crazy weird woman (laughs) wouldn't be wasting her time hanging out with me. It's the fact that I'm not colorblind. (laughs) And Sydney points out that it's amazing how they were both born on the same day, practically the same hour, and yet they're so different from each other. And then Sydney says, I'm so glad I'm not you, Sandy. (laughs) The camera pulls back slightly. And we see that Garrett is lurking just around the corner of the entrance to Swan's Cafe. And he has overheard the whole conversation. And he looks at the camera and smiles. And I just want to know, where is the hospital? (laughs) Is it right next to Swan's Cafe? uh, It must be, because 
like Garrett is grounded, y'all. Like, why would he be at Swan's Cafe? Cut back to the tool and die. Uh, Callie is examining the, like, trying to find the thing that Beric was hiding earlier. They have this conversation about uh, a, a jeweler's eyepiece. Apparently, <laughs> Saja's dad collects semi-precious stones. Fancy. <laughs> Yeah. And Callie saw him using the jeweler's eyepiece today, but didn't get to see what it was he was looking at. Um, yeah, like she kind of, she thought for a moment that it was, she was like, was, I think it was a bike part, but it doesn't really make sense that he would be looking at a bike part with a jeweler's eyepiece. And um, and she just, she's like insisting that she has this gut feeling that Beric is up to something really odd. And Sasha's like behind her, but he also kind of points out that, like, listen, usually when I get a hunch, it turns out to be wrong. Yeah. She asks if he's ever had a weird sense about Barrack. Uh, he asks, as Bobby or Sasha? And, like, this whole this whole interaction is just so very strange to me because he seems to be forming this, like, intimate connection of, like, being willing to talk about his different identities because he brings up his conjurer identity and his super sleuth Sullivan identity so he seems more open to talking about these things with Callie than literally anyone else on the show yeah for sure like they're they're developing a real close friendship here and, and it, it it's believable between the two of them like you can definitely sense why these two characters are becoming friends so as we've established Callie Walker can create chemistry with anything she can or anyone yes a potted yeah. plant no problem we cut to I, I watch a whole buddy comedy <laughs> a whole buddy comedy show between Stacey Mosley and a potted plant <laughs> I'm going to cut that and put that at the beginning of the interview we do with her. Well, we cut to the Rutledge Mansion in Sydney's weird wood-paneled bedroom, where Sydney has made Sandy carry a bunch of bags of, I guess, bunting samples? The stage isn't yep. built yet, and I know Sydney always discusses color before construction, as we have already established, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> It's a lot. I mean, I do. I love that every time, every time Sydney asks Sandy to come help her, Sandy is the one who always ends up doing all the grunt work, and I just love that trope. Why? Um, why does San- Sandy put up with this though? Like, why doesn't she ever put her foot down and tell Sydney to go take a hike? So Sydney's Sydney is very focused on picking the color, and Sandy cannot stop talking about the rain this is just a terrible rainstorm outside uh she says i'm gonna go home in this and i'm gonna catch pneumonia (laughs) and sydney says sandy you're one long note and it's a moan (laughs) i think this is the best possible way of describing sandy It's true. I mean, I can't argue with that. Sandy apologizes, which she really has no need to do because Sydney is still a psycho hose beast. And Sydney tells her she should she should be sorry because life can be really wonderful. And she says, in fact, this is turning out to be the best summer of my life. She flings the swatch at Sandy and we cut to Garrett. (laughs) Yes. Famous last words, Sydney Rutledge, because the camera slowly zooms in on a birth certificate for one Sydney Rutledge. By the way, her birthday, mark your calendars, March 13th, 1978. Also, Garrett is very obvious. I mean, not very obviously because it's very tight on him, but he's in he's in Glory's bedroom doing this. Oh, yeah. It's totally Glory's bedroom. Uh, he carefully cuts the birth certificate apart then swaps Sydney's name onto Sandy Swan's birth certificate. And by the way, 
Sandy's swan-shaped birthmark somehow showed up on her infant footprints, even though that's not how birthmarks work. That's hilarious. Yeah. And Garrett carefully stamps the faked birth certificate with a stamp he stole from the hospital. And as he surveys his handiwork, he says, Ah, Sydney, how to turn a backstabbing little duckling into a swan. There is thunder and lightning as Garrett smiles and the credits roll. <laughs> it's such a great pause for credits. It's wonderful. Oh, it's so good. What an episode. I love this episode so much. So much crazy stuff happens in it. And it, it gets even crazier the next couple episodes, too. You're going to be delighted, Nathan. <laughs> I cannot wait. I, I Like, the fever dreams are my favorite thing. Mm. They're so good. We've got more fever dreams ahead and one event that should be a fever dream but isn't. And yet it is the most fever dreamish thing perhaps that ever happens in Swan's Crossing. Oh gosh. And it involves the Countess, like, a lot. Oh, I, I thought I thought you were talking about the two of us and this podcast in our interview with Stacey Mosley. And <laughs> <laughs> that too. And, and I was like, it does seem like it should be a fever dream and isn't. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. <laughs> anyway, oh gosh, this is going to be great. Who is our psychopath of the week? I think we're both in agreement that it's clearly Garrett. It's obviously Garrett with his his beheading of the flowers. Oh man, yeah, wow. Uh, what was our swan count? Uh, two. If we count Sandy's name on the birth certificate, <laughs> Sandy Swan's name on the birth certificate. Yes. No. What do you think? No, no, because that's just her name. But we do have her birthmark on the birth certificate. I guess that counts. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. So two new fake swans. Bringing our count to two imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 71 other swans. Wow. Okay. Lay it on me. Your predictions for next week. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Garrett is going to make a big deal about, like, here's the thing. I, I think a normal person would just drop off the records with the mayor's office, but I think Garrett is going to have to make a big deal of the fact that Sydney is actually Sydney Swan instead of Sydney Relage and and try to try, like he is he's going to dive into making that happen. Next week we get JT and Neil back back in JT's room doing computer stuff and science stuff. Maybe we get a little bit of Katie in there uh, being her charming little self. We haven't had any glory in a while, so I think Glory's back. Maybe maybe uh, JT and Glory get a little canoodling in when Neil interrupts. Love that idea. Barrick comes back and discovers Callie and Saja have broken into the tool and die and like gets suspicious about what they've discovered or not discovered. I think Sandy does try to go home in the rain and get sick. Uh, Owen is trying to teach Mila the drums and she's terrible at it and he does not care at all. He's just thrilled that, you know, she's in the studio. I think we don't see any of Muffy or Grant, despite the fact that there's like mayoral race stuff happening or Meryl race. All right. Well, um, oh boy. Can't wait. Can't wait for next week. You're going to love it so much and also hate it very much, which is the best kind of reaction one can possibly have to Swan's Crossing. 
Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. Uh, and until next time, my friends, may every flower you trim bear the visage of your mortal enemy. <laughs> <laughs> to get rid of a weed is to nip it in the bud. Garrett, I promise I'll never do anything to get you in trouble again. Cross my heart, hope to... Oops. How does it feel to have your wings...